It is I, Zach Galligan, star of Gremlins, especially Gremlins, uh, Hatchet, and Hellraiser 3, which I make a small cameo in. All of those movies and many other fine cinematic endeavors coming to you where I am lounging in my hotel room. Hang in there, and here's some advice for you. Don't go out there, okay? Oh, someone's at the door. I gotta go. See you guys. Take care. You know, there's some things I forgot to tell you guys. And they're really important. Number one, he hates bright lights. We know that. But you got to keep him out of the sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep him away from water. Don't give him any water to drink. And whatever you do, don't give him a bath. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. In a world where zombies, ghosts, Serial killers and vampires all exist. It's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all support. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Uh, we've got all of our episodes, our interviews, our blog. We got a store, uh, all of our celebrity shout outs, all the good stuff. We also have all of our social media links. You know, we're on, you know, we try and provide content on every platform we can. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Go follow us or like us, subscribe to us, all the good stuff on there. Uh, interact with us. You know, we love answering questions from, from y'all or hearing feedback. Uh, so yeah, go follow us on social media. And one last thing before we get in the film review, uh, we have a Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. We have, you know, the traditional monthly reoccurring, and uh, you know, we'd provide like early content. And uh, I'll also, you know, me and Brian, you know, we like to do giveaways on there, uh, which you know, I, I may have done a little giveaway today through, you know, big fan of the show, Shan. She's got some new tumblers out. Go check her Etsy page out. And we have the one-time donors if you want to, you know, just make a one-time donation. Maybe you want us to review a movie that you really love. You know, we have that tier. And we also have, if you want to come on the show one day, you know, you can do that. Just check out our blood donors on our website. All right, tonight is Brother Brian's pick. It's his film review for the night. Uh, Brian, you want to go ahead and uh, announce it for us? Yeah. Uh, 1984's Gremlins. Um, you know, th- this is one of those movies that, I a hundred percent admit that the nostalgia plays a huge part in with me, um, as well as the atmosphere, which, which triggers that obviously I grew up on this movie. Um, I don't know the first time that I saw it, but, but it came out the year after I was born, you know, in that, in that ridiculous 1984 that, that Mike kind of talked about last year or last week, it's definitely a quote unquote Christmas movie that I try to watch every year. Um, you know, Joe Dante, who who I'm honestly not a fan of, directed this. Uh, Burton actually almost directed this, and part of me wishes that he had. But 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 Dante had just done, just come off the Howling, um, who's D. Wallace is in that, and who we may have some news on soon. I don't want to jinx that, by the way, but I'll just leave that right there. Um, and Spielberg, Spielberg actually produced this, who we were just talking about off air, um, which, I mean, you can see his stamp all over this. And, and the and the script uh, is, is a Chris Columbus classic. You know, Columbus did Home Alone, Goonies, Harry Potter, 
I mean, if you don't know Chris Columbus's script, I'm sorry for you. Um, now, Columbus's early script before Spielberg got a hold of this, in my opinion, w- was much more violent. Uh, your mother's head was cut off. Gizmo turns into stripe. Gremlins eat the dog. <laughs> and while, like, yeah, that would have made this more of a horror movie, it definitely, I think, would have missed on that charm that I think comes with with Home Alone, with, with Goonies, with E.T., hell, Back to the Future. You know, although there's Back to the Future stamp all over this movie. Um, but but it just, it makes me feel those nostalgic, I mean, and in this case, Christmas vibes. Um, I mean, you know what I mean with that, I think. So, anyway, I, I think this has a fantastic cast, and yes, there are some problems, like it's way too long, and you feel that runtime. But But I think that there's definitely, I think this one definitely holds up as a classic all the way around. You know, now, lastly, you know, Dante and a lot of the cast came back for Gremlins 2, and I hate that movie. It's basically like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, where they just kind of went completely crazy and, and spend the whole time actually making fun of this Ooh. one. Yeah, so 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 don't don't watch Gremlins 2, in my opinion. Some people like, like it, I just, I can't stand it. But anyway, that's all I had. Go ahead, Mike. Don't listen to Brian. You should absolutely watch Gremlins 2, but let's let's save that till we do Gremlins 2. Oh, we we probably won't do Gremlins 2. So watch Gremlins 2. Bad batch. Hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So Gremlins. Um, we, we kind of talked about this pre-show. I probably had not seen this film in maybe 10, 15 years. This is maybe the third time I've watched it. Um, as many of you know, if you've listened to, to, to the show the last few years, I'm a big Christmas fan. Uh, I, I I love Christmas. Everything about the season, big. If 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 you can't see the lights that I put in the guest room here to make this room festive, <laughs> that you know, if you're watching on video, obviously, if you're listening on podcast, you can't see shit. But uh, <laughs> but my room is now festive. Uh, so I love Christmas, and I don't normally like Christmas and horror together. I don't think the two genres mesh super well. Uh, There's some ones that do it right, which, by the way, for the fifth week in a row, you should go listen to Silent Night, Deadly Night and watch Silent Night, Deadly Night because it is a really good little (laughs) Christmas slasher. And you can check that out at don'tgoother.com. Thank you, buddy. Um, (laughs) So, Gremlins. Um, I don't hate this movie. It's a little – okay, I don't have nostalgia for the 80s like a lot of uh, people do. I didn't grow up in the 80s. I was born in 1992. And so I don't have a ton of nostalgia pool. So I'm kind of, again, it's been a decade probably since I've seen it. So I'm kind of viewing it again through fresh eyes. And it's not bad. There's a lot of good here. Uh, there's some charm that I, you know, the the 80s kind of cheese is there. And I like some of that. This movie is entirely too long. Big shocker coming out of me. I know. But uh, this movie, you feel it's, it's the, true this time, though, Mike. It's true. It's true most of the time, if I say. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you feel the hour and forty-five minutes in this film, no doubt. Now, animatronics—they look great. I think all the gremlins look super awesome. They hold up. I have no issue. Gizmo's adorable. What a cool, uh, you know, little thing. That if that were a real pet, that'd be awesome. Um, I think the acting is fine. I think the movie is shot really well, especially. The turning point, once it becomes a little more horror slanted, there's some really good shots there. Um, and I, I I, think that those hold up over time. But this movie's almost two movies. It's a little bit of a 
uh, Beethoven-esque kind of comedy-like thing, and then you get the horror aspect, which I think is really good. Now, we're going to get into it in more detail. There's two to three scenes in this movie that go on a little too long for me. Um, yeah. And I think those are kind of glaringly obvious of what those are, but let's save it till we get there. But again, um, I don't hate the movie. I kind of messed with Brian a couple days in a row where I was going to shit on this movie. There are some things that I don't like. I, I do think that it's too long. I think some of the Gremlins stuff is, is way overdone. I would have liked them to be a little scarier, but I don't think that was the intention of this particular script. Now, the script Brian was talking about would have liked to see a little more violent, a little more dark, a little more chaotic. I would have enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, I again, I like the movie enough. I'm excited to talk about it, but I got asked by a friend of mine in my personal life, do I consider this a Christmas movie? Well, obviously, it, it, it's a Christmas movie. It's a comedy horror Christmas movie. And to me, scarier than, say, Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters, yeah. which we've covered you know, in certain parts. So, yeah, I think it fits well, and I'm excited to talk about it. All right, I'll go real quick. Um, like, Mike, I haven't seen this movie in many, many years, probably over 20 years. Uh, just being, I watched it twice, you know, I like to get a little refresher if I haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. Honestly, my first watch thought it was pretty damn boring. Uh, but on my second rewatch, you know, do my notes, I enjoyed it a little bit more just because I knew what I was getting myself into again. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, it's an okay movie to me personally. I know I understand Brian has a nostalgia for the movie. I don't, I didn't grow up on it really. I'm, you know, I saw it when I was younger, but you know, it didn't stick with me like a uh, Jason lives or anything like that did. Right. So I just think the movie is okay. It's worth a watch. Will I ever rewatch it again? Not unless somebody asked me to just being honest, but I think the movie is okay. I just, a lot of stuff just kind of annoyed me. Like it's, like, I just didn't understand, like, the gremlins. Like, what are the purpose of the gremlins? I don't understand. I kind of wish it would have been more horror-ish, but then it yeah. wouldn't have the charm. Like, like they've mentioned, it wouldn't have the charm, because I don't understand, like, one minute these gremlins are, like, killing people, but they also know how to drive snow plows, play cards, they know how to drink alcohol, they smoke cigarettes, <laughs> they watch movies, they destroy movies, they go swimming. Like, I just don't, it, it just confuses me. But... Anywho, I'll stop ranting. I think the movie's okay. I'm not. I don't. I joked with Brian that it's going to be another Cloverfield. It's not going to be like Cloverfield. No, it's not going to be that. <laughs> no, I. I tell you right now, I would watch Gremlins over Cloverfield. Oh and yeah, I, I would too. And I told yeah. you, I'm here for the fans. I'm here for the fans. I'm perfectly fine. I'm here. I, f- f- the people's champ. The people's champ. He's here, here. He's here for him and his family. Oh, sorry, wrong show. <laughs> Y'all go follow Brian on OnlyFans. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Are any more opening thoughts before we jump into the uh, scene by scene? Hey, I have a I, go ahead. Oh go no, Mike. go ahead. No, Brian, mine's a joke. So thing, go ahead. Oh, the only thing I was going to say is I I I wanted to bring up how how cool it is because we did talk about it in Jaws, but this movie and Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, and Jaws were apparently the three movies that encouraged the MPAA to come out with the PG 13 rating. So like really technically this should be rated PG 13. Well, well it's, and- got, it's got, it's got some GDs. It's got some, yeah. some, some, some language, some suggestive comments <laughs> uh, to be polite, which I, you know, I'm trying to hold my tongue, which is very fucking unusual for me on this show. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, anywho, uh, let's jump into the scene by scene. That was random. <laughs> it has Nick Cage in it. Hey, Sean Irwin, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. I love Appreciate he said. It. I paid for this shit. <laughs> yeah. That made me laugh. Appreciate the support, brother. All right, let's jump into scene by scene. Let's do it. The film starts with Randall. He's narrating the story. He's in Chinatown trying to sell some of his inventions, and he's also looking for his son's present. He goes into, I just said, it's a wise man's shop. His grandson tells him to look around. He likes the artifacts in the store and now shows off his bathroom buddy. He now tries to convince us of scenarios we need this bathroom buddy. Rand, Rand, Randall, that's what he goes by. He hears some animal-like noises and finds the mogwai. Rand thinks the mogwai is incredible and wants it for his son and offers him 200 bucks. The grandfather says it's not for sale. The, it has too much responsibility. He walks off, and the grandson tells Rand to wait outside. He brings it to him outside and says he needs the money, like him and his family need the money. He now tells him the rules. No light, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. No water, and never feed him after midnight, no matter what. Now we get aerial shots of the town in title card. It's snowy and beautiful. Opening credits roll. We see kids playing in the snow, and they you know, board the school bus. The sheriff walks into Pete, who's dressed as a Christmas tree, and he tries to schmooze a free one for the station. Now we see Billy, whose car won't crank up. He goes to the back of the car, and it's like the engine smokes him out. Mr. Futterman criticizes foreign cars and asks if he needs a jump. Billy says he's got to get to work, and he takes off walking with Barney, his dog. Billy walks into the bank and gets to his teller station. He hides his dog under the desk. He is not prepared for work. Kate walks up to him to sign a petition. Miss Deagle is a bitch to a mother who asks for more time to pay her back. Miss Deagle now walks into the bank now with a snowman head and skips everyone in line. She tells Billy his dog broke the snowman. She doesn't want money. She wants his dog. She wants to take him to the kennel to put him down. She now says she'll catch the, the beast herself and brutally kill it. Barney jumps up, barking at her, breaking the snowman head. She says she has a weak heart, and his boss says this isn't a pet store. Miss Deagle complains of a weak heart again, and they walk her out. Gerald tells Billy he almost was going to be in the unemployment line. He says he's going to be the president in this place, of, and he's going to be the president of the bank in two years. He tells Billy the world's changing, and he needs to be tough. Kate is their waitress, and Gerald tries to get Kate to go on a date with him, but she curves his ass, and you love to see that. Billy walks inside and helps his mom prepare dinner. He uses his dad's crappy egg-cracking machine, but he has to go to the sink to do it. He asks his mom if anything's wrong. She begins to tell him, but Dad walks in. He hands Billy a present, and he says he has to open it now. He jokes, saying it's a new car. Billy unwraps the present as Mom dims the light. Billy opens the box, and the mogwai leaps up, jump-scaring them a little bit. Billy holds it, calling it cute. Dad says his name is Gizmo. Mom, wakes, uh, mom takes a picture, scaring Gizmo with a flash. He now tells Billy the rules of the mogwai. Billy is upstairs now playing notes on a keyboard as Gizmo sings along. He puts a Santa hat on it, then hits him in the face with a light reflection with a mirror. Gizmo yells, bright light, as they go in the bathroom. Billy puts a bandage on Gizmo's head now. Billy, Gizmo, and Barney go to sleep. Next morning, Billy tries to make orange juice with another crappy invention. It explodes and makes a mess. Pete walks in with their Christmas tree. Pete asks what happened in here about the mess. Then he says the obvious. Just buy orange juice in the carton. All right, go ahead, Brian. The first two scenes I got. 
and I know this sounds probably the opposite of what you would expect, but I think I, I, I think I like the first half of this movie a lot more than I do the second half. I don't know. It just, uh, it, I think that's the one that that's the half that plays the nostalgia to me the most, but, um, Opening up with Hoyt Axton, who actually was a country singer, which I'm sure one of Dustin's favorites in his country library. <laughs> but uh, uh, he apparently ad-libbed nearly every bit of his lines. And uh, I think that's basically how Bill Murray works. Just you just kind of give him the general idea and he'll handle it. To the dismay <laughs> he, of all of his Caddyshack oh, <laughs> cast every, Everybody, everybody. But that's another that's another story. Uh, yeah. um, but, uh, you know... It, he he's he's a perfect salesman and you know i've seen a ton of old westerns and that's how i exactly how i think that he acts he acts like an, like he should be an old western movie but uh but this opening with his narration wasn't actually in the original shooting script and and while this while this opening scene is chalked up with like little easter eggs like a wrecked car being an amc gremlin and hell this entire movie is chalked full of easter eggs um but you'll notice the sets uh, like, like, like in this scene, especially of the town, they, they look really like old cheap sets. And apparently that was a Dante choice. You know, he apparently saw this movie as a Alfred Hitchcock's the birds meets it's a wonderful life and, and wanted the sets to look like that to capture the nostalgia. So that's on purpose. It's not, I'm yeah. not, it's not a choice that I'm a fan of personally, but I get it because it's on purpose. Shout out to Key Loop, Mr. Wing. Uh, I think he would have been a perfect Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat. Just throwing that out there, too. But little fun fact, he actually started out his career designing movie posters and uh. passed away. Passed away, though, unfortunately, in 1991, the release of Star Trek VI. Just another little fun fact. But uh, after, after his work on, uh, uh, his, on Gremlins 2, apparently, is when he, when he passed away. But classic character, for sure. And... Uh, like we've said a ton of times on the show, paranormal, paranormal activity, I think, was was definitely one of them that I know we brought it up on. But Spielberg made a bunch of changes uh, to this film as well. Um, I, I'll get in basically making Gizmo cute like he is and other stuff I'll get into later that I've got notes on. But they uh, they got Howie Mandel to voice yeah, to voice weird. Gizmo at Frank Welker, Welker's request. But 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 let me let me get into these rules for just a second. Like, obviously, the Midnight one has been made fun of. It, it gets made fun of in Gremlins 2 as well. Because, I mean, like, really, isn't, if you think about it, isn't really everything after Midnight? <laughs> I mean, but it's something that, I mean, you don't really ever even think of, especially when you're a kid. You're just like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Don't feed them after Midnight. But when you think about it as an adult, you're like, wait, wait, what the fuck? And the, and the light one makes, it makes real world sense because... Now, Dante and Amblin Studios didn't have to, like, navigate the budget for the expensive animatronics that much. And so they kept them in the dark because, you know, hiding the special effects some. So that makes real world sense. Um, hell, Dante did the same thing with the howling as well. And uh, lastly, my most memorable shot of this movie is that opening on Kingston Falls, which, which by the way, that's the exact set from Back to the Future. Um, they were both shot on the Universal backlot, which is which is pretty well known. But but this coupled with that baby come home from Darlene Lewis, the love song like our darling love just sets that Christmas atmosphere to me. Like, and I think I, that's that one. That's what hits with me. 
Um, I mean, like, and, and, you know, there's, like I said, there's Easter eggs all over this one too, with the Indiana Jones tribute billboard, uh, to the ET and close encounter Spielberg references on the movie marquee. But this is the shot that gives me that shot of Christmas nostalgia. Like, like I was talking about now for the first time, I will say about half the music I like, um, half of it, I think is a little bit corny, uh, almost like Dennis the Menace vibes almost to me. Um, and here, the introduction of basically Scrooge and Mrs. Deagle. I wasn't really a fan of the music that was playing then either, but uh, the music when Billy gets gizmo is perfect. And I think that that's a very well shot uh, scene as well. Um, and speaking of shot, that shot of Pete dressed as the tree reminded me of Midsummer. And this is a much, much better movie. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. So I. I'm a sucker, and this is just—I think that's why I like the show. How I Met Your Mother, and oh, I love that. I'm a fan of a movie that starts out with a narrator, and so now I'm not a fan of this whole movie, but I I like that aspect to the film. Um, And so, you know, we get the narration there from Hoyt Axon, which you mentioned. Um, I'll just say right off the top, and it gets even worse as it goes. He—he may be one of the worst dads in film history. (laughs) He's terrible. Not only does he barely pay attention to anything going on, he's a con man when it comes to selling his inventions, which, by the way, your bathroom buddy sucks, pal. Okay? That's not something I would buy, ever. All right? That's a lot of shit in one big ass. That looked like one of those old cell phones from, like, 97 that they used uh, in American Psycho, (laughs) the travel buddy. I mean, I get the concept, but I feel like just – Put everything in a little bag and you'll be fine. But anyway, um, so he's a con man and he's not a super great dad. And he so again, uh, so he goes. I like the story here. You know, Brian, you mentioned like in the first half of the movie a little bit better. I do like how we get to Mogwai. Like I like all that. But again, it's not. So again, we're doing one of these kind of borderline horror not horror movies and so i almost forgot because it had been so long what the vibe of the movie is and i were you know 15 20 minutes in and i'm kind of like are we gonna get to like the gremlins tearing shit up yet or what man because it's just like a family fun comedy thing going on here and again i don't hate that i just wasn't expecting it off the top um so anyway i think this has a really strong cast though um, you know, Brian, you kind of mentioned a lot of the names. Zach Galligan is Billy. I think it's good. Um, Corey, Fel- it's a really fun, like, oh, that person cast. So yeah, right, Corey yeah. Feldman, uh, Dick Miller, who's in a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. He plays Murray, uh, Howie Mandela's Gizmo, which you mentioned. Here's a fun one. Uh, well, Judge Reinhold, obviously, you know, well, American Summer, but he's also, the Santa Claus, which this time of year is very popular and plays a million times. And it's one of my favorite movies. Um, he's Neil the Sweater Asshole. So, <laughs> but here's how about, a fun- how about Frances McCain, though, as Lynn Peltzer? She was in Stand By Me, Back to the Future, and Mrs. Riley in Scream. Okay. That's all. Okay. Polly Holiday, plays Miss Deagle, was in this movie. She's in The Parent Trap as the camp counselor. Uh, the the Lindsay Lohan one. She's in Mrs. Doubtfire. 
Um, there's one more, and I doesn't matter. She's in those, and those are the ones. As soon as I saw her face, I'm like, oh yeah, camp counselor lady from the Panther Trap. So I had a I had a feeling that's who that was. But, oh yeah, um, she was in she was in Mrs. Elfire. You're right, and Chris Columbus wrote that script, I think. Oh well, so you know, almost like a common theme there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I I like the backstory of how we get to the the gremlins. I kind of disagree with Nico a little bit. Now I agree with him on them not quite knowing what they are, what purpose they serve, what they're here for. Like I don't really get all of that, but I like the idea of him almost being a Christmas gift and this cute little fuzzy thing. And we don't quite know what it is, but it sings. So that that's kind of fun <laughs> or, you know, whatever you call that. I get, it kind of sings like a bird sings. Um, so yeah, man, there's uh, again, this first half of the movie, I didn't take what I would call a ton of notes just because it's just like more of a, now I will say, I know that Murray is supposed to be, I don't know what he's supposed to be, but he's the town drunk to me. Uh, my, my man gets on a snowplow and rides around. I don't know if he's got a fifth with him or what, but I, I think the actor plays that character perfect. Um, and it's so then you got this kind of side relationship here with Billy and Kate. And I kind of like it because Kate's not your stereotypical like eighties. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, female yeah. character she's very she, she's very strong yeah and, I agree. and and kind of goes back at billy she's not just giving in to every little thing he says she's not quote unquote boy crazy like i kind of like her character a lot i think it develops really nicely and she ends up helping save the day and kick ass so good for her now she makes a really dumb decision later in the film <laughs> that i have to point out but outside of that um yeah that's pretty much it i like it by the way again back to the dad just being a, just being sorry as hell. Okay, <laughs> not only is he bad businessman, bad dad. This motherfucker sucks at inventing stuff. This orange juice machine is a piece of shit. I could, you know, how easy it is to squeeze an orange juice fresh. You just put like a little. Uh, you could do it with a cup, like a glass cup. You cut the you cut the orange in half, and you just ring it around the cup, and the orange juice falls out into another cup. Anyway, this guy sucks. But uh, yeah, man, that's all I had. I I have more detailed notes uh, at about the uh, about the fifty three minute mark when uh oh these motherfuckers are here. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, Nico, like you were talking about with a little bit more backstory of it, I think the novelization of this movie actually gives you a lot of Gizmo and the Gremlins kind of backstory and the Mogwai's backstory. But I don't. I, and I was I was thinking about that. I was as I was taking notes on this. I almost am glad that I don't get that backstory because to me, it's just I like how it's just kind of left up for interpretation a little bit. And to me, I think that's a good thing. I get though how it could be like eh, I don't know what the hell's going on. Like I get that, but I almost kind of like the whole mysterious type aspect to it a little bit too. Oh, organic Mike over there squeezing his own orange juice. All right, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm not wa- saying it's the most effective way. I'm just <laughs> saying this invention sucks. I'm calling you organic Mike from now on. Organic no, Mike. Right. We are buying Florida's Natural because it is made in my hometown. Let's do this. <laughs> and my man's just over there trying to make a living inventing stuff, and Mike's over there just putting him down. He's just I, trying hey, his best. Hey, 
hey, just trying to grind out here on the streets. It's yeah, rough out can, here on these streets. He can grind all he wants. What one of my favorite quotes? I have a little advice for him. The world needs plenty of bartenders. <laughs> Name that movie. Name that movie. I have no I idea. Know. I don't know. Or anywho, <laughs> is it Vince Vaughn movie? Yeah, it's uh, the Psycho remake, which we'll, which we'll hear in February on DontGoOutThere.com. <laughs> is it really? I was a, I was a guess. <laughs> All right, let's get our skirt back back on track. Gizmo is watching TV now, pretending to be a race car driver. Billy takes Pete upstairs and shows him the Mogwai. He asks where he can get one of those. Pete accidentally pours water on Gizmo, and it freaks out. Several little Mogwai shoots off his body. Now Billy has a whole litter of them. Stripe is a mean little Mogwai. Gizmo doesn't look thrilled about the babies. Billy goes out to the garage to find his dad, who's working on his bathroom buddy, trying to iron out the kinks and explains another scenario you need it. Billy shoots toothpaste all over him. He now tells him about the new Mogwais. Randall says every kid will want one of these as a pet, and they all play around the living room. Billy sleeps with Gizmo beside him, and we see Billy get up from bed when he hears a noise. We see Barney the dog hung up outside in a string of Christmas lights. Rand says he knows for sure he locked the door. Billy thinks it was Miss Deagle. Mom tries to whip up some coffee, but another invention that doesn't work well. The coffee looks like crap. Billy takes the Mogwai to school for the science teacher to check out. He drops a drip of water on it, and it has an offspring. Teacher asks to keep it and run tests on him. Billy walks past the restaurant as Kate kicks Miss Futterman out. Futterman climbs into his plow and blames gremlins. Foreigners plant them in the cars. Kate doesn't think he should drive home. He's too drunk. We see carolers as Billy and Kate pass the house. Kate says Futterman's been like that since he lost his job. He says uh, a lot of people get depressed around Christmas. Some people open presents. Some open their wrists, she says. She tells Billy she doesn't celebrate Christmas. She snaps, on, she snaps on him a little, and he apologizes. She says she's cranky and tired. He now asks when she's off work and if they could go on a date. She'd love to, she says. Professor Roy now takes a blood sample from the Mogwai. Billy is doing some homework in bed, and the litter of Mogwai is starving. He sees it's not past midnight yet and goes to get them food. He brings them some chicken, and they go to town on it. He hands Gizmo a piece, who doesn't want any. We see the caged Mogwai school staring at Roy's sandwich. Roy leaves, and the Mogwai pulls a sandwich to himself and eats it. Billy lays down and passes out. The next morning, Gizmo says, uh-oh. Billy calls Mom upstairs, and we see these xenomorph-looking pods on the ground. It's the Mogwai. Yes. She asks if he broke a rule. He now realizes his like alarm clock's wire has been chewed through. All right, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, there's and there's a few more casting things that Mike touched on that I wanted to to kind of hit on a little bit too in that first group of scenes, but I'm gonna hit on here because I think there's kind of there's a lot of room in this group of scenes to to do that with, um, like but but Corey Feldman, like this is like what the the third movie that we've done with him. I mean, Lost Boys, Friday Night Four, uh, now this, but but right here. Right here in this like 1984 like little section here, this dude was on fire. He was almost in ET as well, but but Spielberg dropped his character and basically moved it to this one because he was going to play the the best friend of Elliot, uh, which is the same thing he does here. But you know he got cast in Goonies because of this. I mean, this movie comes out the same year as Friday Four, which I know Mike's going to touch on. I think a little bit later, but after this. He literally has a big movie coming out every single year after this through the 80s. It's like, it's insane. 
Stand By Me, Lost Boys, License to Drive, Ninja Turtles. It's like, bam, 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 bam. It's crazy. And, you know, Mike touched on him some earlier a minute ago, but Judge Reinhold. Like, I love, (laughs) I love Judge Reinhold. He's like in some of my favorite movies too. And you brought up Santa Claus, but he's Billy fucking Rosewood in Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, he's in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Stripes, which I love fucking Stripes. But, God, I forgot he's in stripes. That's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, there's yeah. always there's always been something a little bit like fucked up with his character to me in this one, and it felt like off because you're just like, what the fuck happened to him? Like it's just, but now it makes sense knowing now that most of his scenes were actually cut. Um, like there was basically scenes like a whole side plot of him basically losing his mind throughout this movie. Which I mean, cut some of this other shit that's in here and leave that in. Because like that's Judge Reinhold. Like I want to see that performance of him kind of slipping into madness. I thought that I think that would be awesome. And Phoebe Cates, I love her. I mean, she was she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High as well. Which, by the way, like that movie, <laughs> that movie is right up there with Animal House. And you brought up Caddyshack earlier too. That I watched those way too early <laughs> of an age. Like. I should not have been watching those movies. It's me with American Pie, man. Saw when I was seven <laughs> years old. Let's ride. <laughs> uh, but but she actually she has a nude scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and apparently <clears throat> Dante and Spielberg had to like fight the studio to get her in this because the studio execs said that they thought that she was wasn't wholesome enough. But I mean, so like, just what a different time, right? Like that's just it's crazy. Um, but I love her character in this and, and like Mike said, like they try to flush her out some, you know, she's not just some eighties damsel in distress, but like, like with her, like weirdly timed speech later on, like, I wish that they would have given her a little bit more to do than that, than they, than they did in this, especially at the end. And I'll get into that a little bit more whenever we get there. But, um, I think that they did miss a little bit with her character. Um, and I know I talked shit about the music before, but the Gremlins main theme, like like when it, when it plays here with the science teacher, I love it. I think that's absolutely legendary theme to me. And I mean, I just I just think that this set of scenes progresses the plot. But like I said a minute ago, like there's a lot of filler here. I mean, also come on, come the fuck on. Like you need to put some fucking Saran wrap or aluminum foil on that chicken in the refrigerator. Like what are we? This are we are we savages here? What is this? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's what I have wrote down here, Brian, is filler. Th- this set of scenes is a lot of just, and I'm okay with flesh and, you know, especially the relationship b- between Billy and Kate, which I touched on, especially, you know, kind of fleshing some of that out. And I and that, you know, that kind of remains throughout the whole movie. So I'm okay with them doing that here. But there is a lot of stuff with, uh, God, I keep wanting to call the damn thing Mowgli because of the Jungle Book. But anyway, uh, you know what? Fuck it. His new name is Mowgli. So there's a lot of, I'm just kidding. not going to call that man Mowgli. But you know, so there's just a lot of filler with Mowgli here. Now I'm going to do it to piss you off. So, uh, but the, and, and, you know, Billy takes Pete upstairs, and it's fun to see him. It's fun to see him and Pete, you know, kind of interact. I like, I like Corey Feldman, especially young Corey Feldman. You know, you get him kind of in his prime here. You know, we've covered 
the final chapter on this show. You know, you mentioned all the stuff that we've done with Corey Feldman, which, by the way, which we're going to get to at the end, final chapter, same year as this movie, Gremlins. So right around the same time that he's in Gremlins, he's he's uh, my man Tommy Jarvis. So yeah, fun little fact there. Same same calendar year. A uh, lot going on for my man Corey Feldman. But there is just so much kind of not not yeah it it, it it moves the plot along brian but i don't think it's anything that's like super substantial you know he takes him to the teacher and all this other stuff and i just now i'll say we finally get a little bit of interesting here with what water does because you know they set the rules up earlier you know the, the don't get it wet midnight daylight don't feel, you know, all that stuff, which by the way, you made fun of. They definitely make fun of all that in Gremlins 2, which I like the self-awareness of that because the midnight rule is fucking stupid. Um, because again, there's everything's after midnight. I can't hammer that home enough. Um, and it's also always midnight, probably somewhere in the world, which our brother Dustin sent in his notes <laughs> of this. I want to give him credit. He he makes a good point. There's it's probably midnight somewhere else. So if it's not where you are, it's it's dark somewhere else too. Um, but I like that they kind of set that up and then we get to see what happens when water comes into play. We get all these new gremlins. And I think, man, I hate that they turn into these ugly ass beer drinking, chain smoking things. Cause they're all so cute right here. It's like, damn it, man. But, uh, yeah, I just, again, don't have a whole lot here. I do like the development of their relationship. I love that they've decided to flesh out that character of Kate. I think that helps. But like you mentioned, Brian, they, they give her a speech later on, and then we just don't hear about that again. It's a very serious scene, which we're going to get to in a couple scenes. But like, man, I just felt like there was a little bit more there. But uh, yeah, not a whole lot, man. Again, I, I don't know if you've noticed the theme, but I have a really hard time taking notes on movies that are not horror. <laughs> like, like, just like truthfully, I... Like we did Beetlejuice. I had a now that was a little bit easier, but some of the other borderline things we've done where it's just more kind of narrative driven. I've had a hard time taking notes on They Live, Ghostbusters, because I don't, there aren't those normal, stereotypical horror aspects to it. So, Horror Comedy Month was, yeah, boy, was struggling. <laughs> boy, was struggling. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Back at school, we see the cage is full of the cocoon. Lynn is at home as the mom, and she answers the phone. It's Randall. He's at an inventor's convention. We now see the cocoons upstairs shaking around. Miss Deagle is back at the bank, skipping everyone in line again. She threatens to kill the dog slowly again. Back to Roy, and we and we see the cocoon hatch. All the cocoons hatch back at Billy's house now. The box the cocoon is in in Roy's classroom falls to the ground. The bell rings, and he dismisses class. Roy looks around his classroom now and sees the cocoon is hatched. Roy calls Billy and says, you know, it's hatched. I just said hatched a bunch of times. He takes off from work to go see. Gizmo sees all the other cocoons. Roy sweet talks the gremlin saying he got it a candy bar knowing it would be hungry. The projector turns back on as we hear something running. He reaches under his desk offering it the candy bar. He wants to see it. The gremlin starts to eat the candy bar. And then we hear Roy scream as he's bitten. Billy makes it to the classroom and finds his body on the ground with a needle in his butt. Billy goes to grab the phone, but the gremlin grabs his hand. Billy approaches it and sees it has broken into the vent and run away. Billy goes to the nurse's office to wrap his cut. 
but then the gremlin jumps out of a cabinet at him, scaring him. Then he runs back into the vents. Lynn, back at home, hears a commotion. The gremlins are playing darts, sticking Gizmo to the dartboard. Lynn grabs a knife and heads upstairs. She makes it up and sees the wreck. The phone rings and it's Billy telling her to get out of the house as one of the gremlins destroy the phone lines. Now we hear carols playing in the house. She goes back downstairs and Billy runs to the house. She cuts the record player off and a glass object, I'm guessing it's maybe a dish or something, is thrown at her. She goes in the kitchen and sees them eating her gingerbread men. She turns the mixer on, killing one of the gremlin. Another gremlin throws dishes at her. She grabs a shield and stabs the other gremlin to death. She now sprays the gremlin with like cooking oil and cooks it in the microwave, causing it to explode. Lynn goes into the living room now and sees the stocking moving over the fireplace. She knocks it over and realizes it's just a toy robot. The tree behind her shakes and falls on her. A gremlin is attacking her now as she stabs at it. Billy makes it home as she's being strangled, and he grabs a sword off the wall, knocking it into the fireplace. The last gremlin, Stripe, bursts out of the window, running away. All right, go ahead, Brian. So this convention scene is is chalk full of Easter eggs as well. I mean, we get Spielberg and composer Jerry Goldsmith with a cameo. And in the background, we get a prop from fun fact, a little known fun fact that from this props from one of my favorite movies of all time, 1960s black and white. I just lost Nico, the time machine. Um, I like the remake a lot too, but it's, but it's cool because if you focus in on that time machine in the background, it, whenever it flips to the mom and then cuts back, it disappears. Like, you know, kind of like it went back in time or something. And the only all the time machine I recognize is hot tub brother. Oh, just kidding. I'm wow, kidding. I've seen time machine. The, uh, I've seen time machine. I've seen huh? The Back to the Future, the DeLorean. You don't even recognize that time machine, huh? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I just wanted to piss you off. <laughs> Man, you never listened to an episode of my other show that I had for a little bit there because I always talked about hopping in the DeLorean and going back in time. Anyway, <laughs> I did actually listen to that. Either way, anyway, um. Great shot, I think, of the gremlins hatching, like Nico touched on, obviously very inspired by Alien. But but now that we get grown-up Stripe and company, it kind of seems like a good time to throw in the fact that Frank Welker, fucking Megatron himself, voices Stripe. Which I think, funny enough, that's the second time that I know that I've brought him up on the show because it was he he was in uh, Anaconda doing some some sound work there, too, the last time that I did. But not just him. <clears throat> Michael Winslow, the dude from Police Academy that does all those I can't do shit, but but you know those 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 special effects, those I mean those sound uh, sound effects or whatever. Uh, he does some of the Gremlin voice work as well. So and uh, and shout out to Chris Wallace and and his special effects team. In my opinion, Mike brought that up earlier. Still holds up and. And to know the problems and the budget and, and keeping them in the dark and everything because of because of the budget, the fact that they look as good as they even do to me is a great feat. Um, and honestly, like like the part in the classroom, I think I think that it's more effective not seeing the gremlin. So you know, and at this point, hiding hiding their grown up appearance, I think I think that's effective. I, I liked that. Um, another little known or a little fun fact: Chris Wallace. Uh, actually suggested that they use puppets instead of the uh, the stop motion idea, and so like as a compromise, the studio suggested a spider monkey in a suit, which which was <laughs> which was tested at a uh, director Joe Dante's office. The animal apparently went fucking crazy, tore the office apart, uh, 
took a shit everywhere, apparently. Dante screamed at the trainer to get the animal the fuck out of there. Like, to me, it's just I'm picturing this, and it's hilarious. But but then apparently after he left, Wallace just kind of looked at Dante and was like, so puppets? I don't know. Anyway, that, that made me laugh. Um, also, good God, man. Like, I didn't mention it, uh, you know, when he wrapped Gizmo's head like a fucking mummy uh, in the first group of scenes. But I will hear in this group of scenes, like, when he's in the doctor's office and his hand is scratched or, or whatever, like, it's not even bleeding. But he wraps that thing like he's a damn athletic trainer. And, like, the, the man needs to, like, relax on the wound dressing, I think, just a little bit. The man's getting ready to go into the octagon. <laughs> he is, man, that dude, he, he wraps Boy, everything. Like, it's crazy. Um but I will say I do like a lot of the tension that's built up in this group of scenes with the school, um, like I said here, and, and and with Mrs. Peltzer, uh, her attack. The attack on her, I think, is great. Um, and some seriously awesome fucking kills here, like the gremlin in the blender. Spoiler alert, my favorite kill in the movie. But the one in the microwave, I mean, let's go. Come on. Um, old Stella Baines got some uh, some serious, serious moves here. That's that's her character in Back to the Future, uh, Nico. But uh, it did. I think that I think that uh, she, as a character, does better than pretty much anyone else in this movie fighting these things. She takes out like three or four of them. Um, and lastly, like the two swords hanging on uh, on Peltzer's wall. A uh, little fun fact here: they're actually the same props used in like the the big battle between Buffy, my girl Sarah Michelle Gellar, and sorry Freddie Prince. That's my girl. She was my girl first, and uh, an angel. Um, David Boreanaz uh, in the season two finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So just a fun little fun little tidbit there as well. Fun fact, I've seen Back to the Future before. <laughs> yes, you have now. You have <laughs> seen Back to the Future before. You have. I, would not fun fact, I don't hate black and white movies. I just watched The Lighthouse and it was incredible. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. a little okay. different. I think that's I, a little I, different, I, Nico. I think, I think I lost you on the 1960s black and white part of that. There you I go. Just, I mean, there if you I was go. just... Oh, Lighthouse is way better than Psycho, but we'll, we'll talk about that another day. Oh, go ahead, Mike. God damn. Jesus Christ. Oh, you completely just threw me off. Anyway, okay. Tell uh, me you like me lobster. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Movie's slow. Anyway, uh, slow as hell. Okay, so... I love this set of scenes. This gets the ball going. I like all the stuff in the uh, classroom with Roy. I, I think, you know, like you mentioned, the tension, Brian, we kind of really set the stage for, uh-oh, shit's about to get crazy, you know, as the box rattles. And by the way, I think I I read something earlier uh, on my lunch break from work about this. These kids have school on Christmas Eve? The fuck kind of n- Nazi... Third world bullshit is this. I'm having oh, yeah. school on Christmas Eve. Get the fuck out of here, pal. Anyway, but uh, they're there, obviously. And so I I love that we build to like, you know, the box shakes. And you're like, oh, you, you know, wh- 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 what's that going to be? And he kind of baits him in. And then, you know, Billy walks in on it and gets into the battle with one. Like, I, I love the look of these gremlins, by the way. And I do think, like I mentioned in the opening set of scenes, they hold up over time to me. Now, in a little bit more of a daylighty vibe or like a room light vibe, they're not awesome, but they're really good when they're dark. And so we we're about to get a lot of that. And by the way, you mentioned it, Lynn Motherfucking Peltzer 
she steals the show in these <laughs> set of scenes. She's a badass, man. First of all, shitty dad, not there at some fair trying to sell some crappy invention he sucks at making. You know, whatever. He's he's off doing crappy salesman shenanigans. And she's having to fight, you know, fend off all these gremlin demon alien things. And she's awesome. This has some of the best kills, obviously. Uh, the you know you mentioned the blender kill. The blender kill is great. I love the microwave kill. I I think it's very creative. It's a lot of fun. The the effects look good inside of it. Um, you know when she basically just stabs one. Uh, you don't necessarily see it, but I think it looks good. He kind of like flings off to the side. I think that's really good. Uh, so and I love that she uses like what is essentially a TV table. <laughs> you know those things you used to eat on around the couch and shit. Uh, she basically uses like an 80s version of the TV table to fend off the dishes being thrown at her. I think that's creative. Like, I just love all that. I, I think it's a really fun, good set of scenes for this to kind of turn it up a notch. I think it's it's really good. And I like that we are keeping Mogwai like separate from these gremlins. Like, it gives us one of these creatures to root for. Again, I like that they have personalities. I think that makes it fun. I think that's interesting. But something Nico touched on, I think, is a very good point. Is okay, they have this personality, but what are they? What what is their deal? Like we don't they're just things that laugh and they kind of talk, but not really. They kind of know what our culture is, but not really. Like it's a very odd thing. And I think that you know, making them evil, but also making them kind of fun is is an interesting way to do it. I don't know if I love that direction a ton. I would have liked it to be just a little bit darker. Um, but I like the character of Stripe because who doesn't love a cool-ass looking mohawk thing on a gremlin? It's badass, man. It's badass. And I, so by the way, <laughs> this is where you start to feel the runtime a little bit to me because he jumps out the window and you're, I looked at my, uh, I paused it on my Roku. Uh, I'm not going to say how I watched this film, but it was very free. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I paused it on my Roku, and it said I had still had 53 minutes left. I said 53 minutes left. Holy shit! But now, I, yeah, I knew what had come. Like I knew what's to come, but also like, man, there, there's 53 minutes left. And so I like that the character of Stripe is smart, at least compared to these other idiots that are just kind of bench drinking and smoking here in a little bit you know he's kind of smart he 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 realizes i gotta keep this thing going and that's what gets us into the next set of scenes but to me this is the strongest set of scenes i think there's good kills there's good suspense there's just enough comedy and and i think it all works really well so kudos on this set of scenes to me from here the movie takes a little bit of a dip and i know i said i liked it more i i just Prefer the more horror elements. This is a set of scenes that kind of give us those horror elements. Because after this, we get a little bit, little bit too hokey, for lack of a better term. Yeah, the mom in the kitchen scene is probably my favorite. Uh, Billy Again, takes Lynn. Who, who fence people off with a TV table? It's badass. Like it's a fucking love. <laughs> like it's a fucking shield from the movie Three Hundred. It's 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 badass. <laughs> Billy takes Lynn to the doctor's house and he leaves her and goes back to his house. He hears Gizmo and finds him in the laundry chute. Billy follows tracks in the snow into the YMCA. He unlocks the door and goes inside. 
The fire alarm goes off and Stripe jumps out at them. Stripe jumps into the pool and it begins to boil and turn green with light. Billy runs out of the YMCA and makes it to the sheriff's station. And heard the police are not believing him. He warns them within hours this town will be a disaster area. He now tells them the story how he, he got the Mogwai. We now see this, that Stripe is leading the army of gremlins. And that's probably the only effect in the movie that I didn't think looked great. Stripe leading them. But the rest of them look pretty damn good. Uh, we're in the Futterman house now. And the TV signal begins to mess up. He blames the brand. But it's the gremlins on the roof destroying the antenna. Murray goes outside and sees the antenna all bent up. He hears chattering and the plow bursts out of the garage and drives toward him. He runs back inside as they plow through his house and he screams, there's a real gremlin in my cab as they get run into. A man tries to put some mail in the mail collection box, but it's thrown back out. Another man reaches in and is grabbed by a gremlin. The gremlins also tamper with the wiring to the streetlights causing a wreck. He now tells them how it creates when it comes into contact with water. Sheriff gets a call about a snowplow and a freak accident at the Futterman's. They tell Billy to go home and they head out. The gremlins make it to the Deagle residence. Miss Deagle takes her stair chair downstairs and gets her kitty something to eat. She hears carolers outside and opens the door to see it's all gremlins singing. She freaks out and runs inside as another gremlin tampers with her electric chair. She takes her chair upstairs but it's super fast and it launches out the window upstairs. She flies out the window and onto the ground outside, killing her. The cops now see a guy dressed as Santa, covered in gremlins, and do nothing to help. And I wrote, they're even worse than the Haddonfield cops. They have no clue what the gremlins are. <laughs> I wrote Thank the you, same Nico. exact thing. <laughs> Fuck you, Nico and Brian. I said that the police makes the department, Haddonfield police, look like the damn Navy SEALs. They're so bad. <laughs> yeah, the Green Beret. <laughs> well, this fucking junky town, of course. Golly, <laughs> there's, there's a cop that's drunk on the job. These cops suck ass. I'd rather have Dewey on the investigation. Don't get emotional, <laughs> Mike. Don't get emotional. Just saying. Uh, let, let me finish and you can get emotional. Myers. They drive away and see the chaos. Pete is shooting at them with a slingshot. Sheriff goes to hit the brake but can't stop because the brake lines were cut and they flip the car over. All right, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> I know this was in the last set of scenes, but I also wanted to point out like how awesome that shot was of the Christmas tree and then those red glowing eyes in that last set of scenes with the mom. I thought that was a great shot. Um, but in this set of scenes, Gizmo, the backpack, come on. I mean, that's definitely E.T., right? But I think that that definitely works on a different level, another level as well, because it kind of gives you a way, a real world way to get the gizmo doll like around without having to do some stop motion or some other cheesy looking effect that would have, you know, wouldn't definitely wouldn't have stood up. Um, each apparently each one of these animatronic gremlins were like thirty to forty thousand dollars a piece, allegedly, and and. Zach Galligan was on record to say, and he remembered that they would actually check everyone's trunks of their cars to make sure that nobody stole any on the set every single day. <laughs> That's crazy. But, uh, but like I hinted at earlier, Gizmo and Stripe in the script were the same gremlin. Like Gizmo apparently grew up to be, you know, Stripe until, until of course, marketing genius Spielberg came in and said, no, that he wanted Gizmo separate and, you know, shit that they'll make any wanted or wanted Gizmo to be the hero because they'll make more money on toys. I mean, I mean, you can't look, say what you want about Spielberg, but he's a he's an absolute marketing. It's like not ever. It's like not ever making John Cena a bad guy. Why would you do that? He sells <laughs> like a billion fucking shirts. Yeah, it's 
And and look again, like you you just touched on it because I wrote it down. The same thing, like this movie's definitely too long, and it takes way too long to get here. And once it does get here, it's stretched. It's stretched a little too much. But no matter no matter how you're feeling, that I think that when Stripe like scratches Billy, and then like you know, first off, you're like, wow, what a dickhead. But because he just walked over there and just ah, scratched him and like walked off, and then jumps in the pool. I mean, I, no matter how you're feeling, I think that everybody's eyes kind of get wide at that it's point. It's an awesome because, scene. Because you yeah, know, like, awesome. holy shit, like, we've we've got a problem now. And the and effects are awesome. Yeah, and, and it's definitely, the movie to this point's giving you the knowledge to now know that the stakes that this that this is, like, presenting to you. So even though it took, a, it, it will, damn, it took a long time to get there, so it better get its point across. But it, de- it definitely does. You feel the effect of, of stripe put uh, jumping in that pool right there. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks of friend of the show, Trey Roland, who joined us on the thing episode. Don't go out there.com. Uh, every time that I see any of the gremlins like laughing in this set of scenes, because he uses that so much on Twitter. We've, we've got to get Trey Roland back on the show. Uh, shout out friend of the show, Trey Roland, but, uh, and, and Murray, my man, Dick Miller, you brought it up earlier, Mike, Little Shop of Horrors, the Terminator, just acting legend. But this is how he goes out? Like, really? With this Austin Power steamroller scene, basically, where he's like, no, wait a minute. No. Oh, it's awful. I just, it's so fucking terrible. <laughs> spoiler alert, that's my least favorite kill. If he even really killed him, I'm not sure if even you can count that as a kill because I know somebody calls the police later. From her, from their house, but I don't, you know. So who knows if it's really? I'm, I'm counting it though. I'm counting that he's dead. Um, but you know, that's like I said. I wrote down about the Haddon piece, Haddon uh, field police as well. But that, so to me, like they're so bad, they deserve to crash. Uh, but it did make me laugh. <laughs> the scene where they're walking out and the deputy says, "Why do you get to drive?" He goes, "I'm the sheriff, asshole." I don't know that. That made me laugh the way that he he delivered that and. Uh, you brought up Polly Holiday uh, earlier, but to me, like in this set of scenes, I think she does a really great. Well, actually, in all of it, she does a really great job acting, um, and I think she she makes you hate her character. But in this set of scenes, in this death set of scenes, she really does a really good job of genuinely being scared and and having that come across. Even though her death was was comedic, you know, really, but it. it I think she does a good job portraying that, but that's all I had. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I just love that. Again, I like this. The more scenes the dad isn't in, the better. I'm sorry, but you get the nice, like, uh, mother son kind of like her, you know, him helping her and taking her away from all this, even though she was a badass. You know, I'm glad he got her safety. But I like that they went with a more now. Gets a little hokey, but at least they're going with some kills. Because again, it's supposed to be a comedy horror, horror comedy, whatever. And this set of scenes has some kills, at least. Um, Prime, you mentioned it. my man Murray. It, okay, so he's a. Vi- I don't necessarily like the character of Murray because he's very '80s TV dad, where he's grumpy and he watches the TV, and you know he's got this whole plot throughout where. He doesn't like anything foreign made. He sure does have a lot of foreign made shit for not liking <laughs> stuff that's foreign made. Uh, so I always found that to be kind of funny, at least. Um, he's a dick to his wife. That's funny because his name is Dick. 
in real life. But anyway, um, <laughs> his death is terrible. It's awful. It, it is almost played like a Thanksgiving death to me. It's really, really bad. Um, maybe it's the acting. I don't know. Now, I'll say this. I get a laugh out of the gremlins driving that fucking snowplow. I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> like, like you know, they're laughing and having a good time. Like, I think it's funny, but hit his, no, it's very, like, just hokey over the top. Not, not, not good. And if that's what it was supposed to do, then it delivered. But I didn't care for it. Um, you mentioned the pool scene, and I want to, you know, go back a little bit here. I skipped over it. The effects in that shot are awesome. The way the way the pool looks, the way it's lit, how you know green it is, and the but you know the bubbles coming up and everything. I think in the smoke coming out, like really cool shot, really cool effects. I think it works really well. Again, you mentioned. I still, I'm feeling the runtime here because I love as much as I love that shot. That would have been awesome about 20 minutes ago <laughs> to get that shot, um, but. It, Still think it holds up really, really well. Um, obviously, which I already mentioned, uh, Polly Holiday, Miss Deagle. First of all, she's the only character in this movie that I'm like, if you die, that would be great. Because she almost like Corella Deville's her ass with how how she wants to put the dog in the in the fucking washing machine or the dryer or whatever. Like just terrible. Um, and she makes you hate her character, which I will commend her for. So when she dies, while it's played for some kiki ha-has, I think it works really well. Um, but I like that they have a little more horror aspects in here, some kills. They have some fucking Halloween 5 cops, bastards. Might as well be eating bomb me sandwiches and fucking and, and have clown music when you walk up because they're fucking terrible. Uh, the one cop's drunk. Now, I will say this. This movie plays into the bumbling cop trope which I don't really love in horror anymore. I'm over it. Like I'm over bad horror movie cops. This kind of fits that narrative to me. They're just like, I, I don't believe you, son. Go back to bed or whatever the fuck. Like this very like, ugh. is anybody ever going to believe anyone in any fucking horror movie ever? No boyfriend ever believes her girlfriend and no cop ever believes anybody. <laughs> like, can we just like maybe try to not do that? going forward in horror movies. I know we're not going to because Halloween ends is going to come out and Haddonfield PD fucking sucks. No matter what timeline we're on. That's right. I said it looking at you coach. Yotes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Hey, Hey, Brad Dorf would never. Hey, my man, Brad motherfucking Dorf. He had to, ch- <laughs> I'll commend him on being a good cop, but he should have shot Loomis in the head. That son of a bitch. Anyway, but uh, yeah, that's all I have. I think this is, this is uh, not – again, we're about to get into the part of the movie that just like it's overdone. It's way too much. We're not quite yeah. there yet. But uh, this set of scenes and the set of scenes before are the chunk of the movie that I like the most. From here, we kind of start to take a little bit of a downward turn because it's just too much. It's 40-ish minutes of kind of, all right, are we ever going to wrap this thing up or what? That's kind of how I feel in the next – the uh, last few sets of scenes. All right, Billy gets his car to crank and takes off with Gizmo. He listens to the radio as Pete calls in about the gremlins. The radio man is attacked by gremlins now. Randall is at a gas station now, and he notices the attendant is a smoker. He now tries to sell him his smokeless ashtray, which that could have been cut. We're at Dory's Tavern now, and Kate is trying to bartend for the gremlins. 
It's chaos as they drink, eat, make a mess, play on the ceiling fans. One even flashes her. Stripe leads the card table and shoots one of the other gremlins. More gremlin action as they laugh and dance. Kate notices they they like back away when she puts like a match towards them. She grabs a camera and starts to flash that the the light at them. She almost makes it to the door and the camera stops working. Billy drives up and honks for her. They get back in the car and he turns the car off for some reason. And now it won't crank. They have to make a run for it. The whole town is being attacked by gremlins. Billy and Kate make it inside the bank and now it, and notice it's a wreck too. He tells Kate they're gremlins. She says she has another reason to hate Christmas. She now tells him how her dad died falling down the chimney dressed as Santa and broke his neck. That's how she found out there was no Santa. Billy and Kate go back outside and see the whole town is quiet now and cars are on fire. Kate asks where they all went. It's almost light, so they're probably all together. Gizmo chatters and Billy and Kate go inside the movie theater. Some of them are destroying the film. Some are in the seats. They begin to watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They now sing along, hi-ho, and off the work we go. He asks Kate, where's the boiler room? Billy opens a valve and leaks gas into the air. He now lights like uh, some paper, I believe, on fire to you know explode the building. The gremlins see them behind the screen and chase after them. They make it outside, finally get them trapped in the building. They run off and patiently wait for the building to explode. The gremlins burn to death. They now see Stripe in the department store. They chase after as Billy breaks the window in so they can get inside. If he gets to water, it'll start all over again. He tells Kate to try and find a light switch as they share a kiss. And the next little bit is the ending. Go ahead, Brian. So this is probably the most well-known, uh, well-referenced, or most referenced set of scenes in this movie. But hot take, it's my least favorite set of scenes. Uh, the part at the bar, come on. Like, Kate serving the gremlins, I hated it. Um, but I will give them more props for Flasher Gremlin. Uh, sidebar, flashing is a trend that I'm glad isn't around much anymore. I have to say that I love 80s movies. I love 80s nostalgia, but definitely glad I missed the whole flasher trend. I mean, just, oh, hey, fine gentleman in a khaki trench coat. He must be cold. Boom, dick. Awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> Boom, but, dick. Awful but, is a t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> but, but it's definitely funny in this little, this little set of scenes. But um, it, these shots... Of all the gremlins doing all this shit, I don't think they needed to be in this movie. If you're going to have these gremlins on screen, have them killing town folk, not dancing all over the place. I mean, we get to spend 10 fucking minutes in this bar scene with them just acting like idiots and Kate serving them like they're fucking people. I mean, get get, get the fuck out of here. Cut all of this shit here. Cut it all. Like, this should literally be three to five second scene if you're going to show this, not 10 minutes. And Billy, you dumb ass. Like, you just saw Kate running out of the bar. Why did you turn your car off? If you have a car that you worry about not starting, why, why are we turning it off? Anyway, ridiculous. But uh, listen, like this, I touched on it a little bit earlier, this famous Kate speech. I told you I like it. I like her character. I just think that this is a really weird place to put it in the script. I mean, it's not like it's not like in a movie where you're held up for a while, like in... in 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 some abandoned building and like you can like the characters can sit down and like relax for just a second from all the chaos and you kind of share this moment no it's it's out of nowhere and it's kind of seems forced as hell like they're just barely closing the door oh shit close the door by the way fuck christmas my father got stuck in the chimney like an idiot and i burned him with the fireplace like it's just the studio it's like the studio 
or I mean, I know the studio wanted it cut, but Joe apparently really wanted it in and Spielberg just let him leave it in. And again, fine speech. I just think the timing was weird for me. And I mean, also Billy and Kate, you know, like they walk out after, I don't know, it just does not seem that long, but the whole town's like abandoned. Like how long were they in there? And the original script had scenes like where the gremlins attacked a McDonald's eating the customers instead of burgers. Like that's the kind of shit that I'm talking about. I would, I, I would have liked to have seen that and seen some more people killed instead of the bullshit at Dory's and then the movie theater scene. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's an iconic visual, you know, with the whole movie theater, like for this movie, that's a very well-known scene and you know, and all that. But again, I don't think it had any business being that long. Um, and lastly, like this, so this set of scenes to me knocks the movie down for me personally, a couple, a whole couple of points and it, it annoys me, but the explosion apparently when, when Phoebe asked about the, the movie, uh, the, the, uh, the, I'm talking about the movie theater explosion, but apparently when Phoebe asked the explosives guy, how big the explosion would be, he said, well, we've packed it pretty good. She's quoted as saying, well, what the hell does that mean? She said, like, the actual event was so deafening, the heat was so intense, she thought it had singed her eyebrows. Like, it blew the doors off the theater, like, like you could see in the movie, obviously, in the film. But it apparently shattered windows on a building at Universal a mile away it was that big. Anyway, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, this is also my least favorite set of scenes in this film. There's not a whole lot that I actually like about this outside of a few laughs that I get from the bar scene, because there's some funny stuff. But when you put it in the context of the film, Brian, which you mentioned, it doesn't fit. It feels so out of place. Like, I don't really know why it's there. And and, and Dustin Sost, which I'm going to read off later, he kind of mentions just wanting to film their cool invention <laughs> that they kind of made. And I understand that. But, I, you know, like you mentioned, Brian, there's better ways to do that. Yeah. Um, there's significant and again that this is a horror comedy it's not supposed to be played super serious so like okay fine but that doesn't mean i have to like it and i don't like this scene at the bar like the only redeeming set or the only redeeming thing here is kate being awesome thinking on her feet you, you it took her a long time first of all would have never served these fuckers but now that you've also dug that hole um which, by the way, that's her dumb decision that I referenced earlier. But she 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 thinks on her feet. She remembers the flash. Kind of bothers them. Doesn't like the picture taken. All that stuff. I like that. But like everything else is just so over the top. The flashing. The five cigarettes in the mouth. All the drinking beer. Falling off bar stools. Like it's just it's a lot, man. They're they they're like me and my buddies on a you know on a weekend alone you know guys trip. Which I just. Again, what are these things? How do they even know to emulate this stuff? Like, I, and I just, I think all that gets kind of lost there. Um, also, you get the speech from Kate about her dad and why she doesn't like Christmas. And I think that's supposed to be a serious monologue. But I got to be honest, to tie that into why she doesn't believe, why she found out she that there was no Santa, <laughs> by the way, kids if you're listening one stop because i've said a lot of f-words on this episode and two, <laughs> two I've, I, there is a santa don't don't listen to kate santa's super real 
And if you listen to this show, he's going to bring lumps of coal for you. So maybe turn this off and tell your mom that you're very sorry. Um, or your dad or whoever. But so I, it's played super serious, but I, I mean, I just don't think it works. Like, I, I mean, I'm glad they're giving her character some depth, but like, the fact that he falls and breaks his neck, and that's how like Santa broke his neck. Like it's just, I don't know. It's played serious, and I couldn't help but laugh because of the way it was d- delivered, worded, whatever. Uh, I wasn't a fan. I really hate. I'll say hate this scene at the movie theater. One, how much did Spielberg pay to get the rights to air Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Because I, Disney I does think, not let their you're correct, but I think it's I think it's public uh, domain at that point. It's been like it's, it came out so long ago. I think that that's, it, that's not in their vault. I'm not sure, honestly, to be honest with you. So I don't, I don't know. Well, the only reason I say that is because I know they. If you know the story behind, you know behind who framed Roger Rabbit, and and what it took to get the you know them and the Looney Tunes on screen together, mm, yeah, that yeah. was a big enough hassle. Much less put Snow White and Seven Dwarfs in the movie with gremlins and that drink beer and smoke cigarettes and stuff that kind of surprised me. Like I forgot that that was in here. Well, uh, you're, you're right. Uh, anyway, even if it is domain now, it sure as hell wasn't in 1984. So I don't, I'm not real sure how they did that. Right. Um, so yeah. So I thought that was kind of fun. I was like, Oh man, I bet Spielberg met, although he is Steven Spielberg, even in 1984. So maybe, you know, they're like, all right, Steven, you, you go ahead. This movie's going to make a lot of money. No big deal. Um, so, I hate this movie theater scene, man. It, it goes on forever. How in the world did, did, did she even know where the boiler room was? Like, there's just a lot that I don't like. Uh, we, it's too much of the laughing, joking gremlins for me personally. And I just don't think it works well. Now, I like that they got them all in there and they kind of killed a bunch of them off at once. That's fine. But it just, I don't know. It doesn't hit with me, man. And I think this set of scenes in particular drags the movie down. A pretty good chunk, man, because I don't hate the movie. I, I'm not in love with it up to this point, but I definitely don't hate it. But this set of scenes, it drags. And I do mean drags at that bar scene. Like, I'm like, can we move this along? This is taking forever. And so uh, that's all I have to say about the set of scenes. There's just, it sucks because the two sets of scenes before it are pretty decent. And then we get to this, and I just think it kind of, kicks me in the balls and I didn't want to be kicked. All right. I'm just going to make two comments before I go on to the last little bit uh, on a funny note. I saw on cinema sins about this movie where it said stupidity killed your dad, not Christmas, Kate. I thought that was hilarious. And uh, the second thing I agree with both of y'all is like, I really don't need, like I like Kate's character, but I don't need this whole speech about the seasonal, like Christmas depression stuff. Like, what kind of movie are you trying to make? You trying to make a horror comedy, but you're trying to bring in like this big point about horror, like depression, like people are sad during right. Christmas. And then you put, and then like Brian said, like you put it right here for her to tell the story. Like have her tell the story when she like, before she accepts the date, like why do you right. have to wait till now? That's just my opinion though. Uh, all right. Here's the last little bit. Billy grabs a baseball bat and looks for stripe. He bashes a TV in when a gremlin appears on it. Kate finds some switches and tries to find the lights. Billy keeps wandering the store. Kate turns the water to the fountain on. Stripe now throws things at Billy, including saw blades. Stripe is on a tricycle and Billy chases after him. Gizmo is gone now. Billy is hitting the back with a like a tennis ball launched to him. 
and Stripe throws more stuff at him. He now shoots Billy in the arm with a crossbow. Billy blocks a second shot with a stereo. Billy getting his ass whooped, then Stripe charges him <laughs> with the <laughs> weakest chainsaw ever as he fights it off with a wooden bat. Yes, I said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Gizmo drives a Barbie car, and Kate finally gets the store lights turned on. Stripe is weakened and drug away by the chainsaw until it unplugs. Stripe runs to the fountain as he grabs a gun. Barney jumps out the car and goes into the department store. Billy makes it to the gardening section and sees Stripe by the fountain. Stripe shoots at him and he cl- and he climbs to the top of the fountain. He puts his finger in the water. Gizmo grabs the cable on the wall, opening the roof up, and sunlight hits Stripe, killing him. What the hell is that, Rand asks him. Billy grabs Gizmo, and we get a jump scare from Stripe's skeleton as it leaps out of the fountain. They walk out of the store. Back to Billy's house, and they watch the news, who blame it on mass hysteria in the town. They check Gizmo's temperature, and the old Chinese man is there. He gives the money back and takes Gizmo. They load Gizmo back up in the box, and he scolds him for letting all this happen. He tells Rand he is not ready. Gizmo tells Billy bye, and the man tells Billy someday he may be ready. Rand tells the man he's truly sorry. Rand offers a smokeless ashtray as he leaves. Narration at the end as we see the old man walking down the street. And then I just wrote down the final quote. There there just might be a gremlin in the house, like if you hear noises and all that. All right, Brian, what did you think of the ending? I'm going to be honest with you. I was ready for it to be over. I mean, I, and, and am I wrong for saying that the original cut for was like, I think it was something like two hours and 45 minutes or something. Jesus Christ. I mean, like they cut like an hour out of it and they still didn't cut enough to me. But uh, anyway, the, the scene in the department store where, where Stripe attacks Billy with that chainsaw was not in the script. And it was apparently added by Joe Dante and Zach Gilligan as like a, or Galligan as an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm like, okay, but this is exactly what I wrote down. Did anyone notice he was blocking a chainsaw with a wooden fucking bat? I mean, like, I just, I, I'm glad you said that because I was like, what the fuck? But uh, I, I am glad that they took it seriously uh, as far as the fight goes between between the two. Like, uh, it had, a, it reminded me a lot, and I'm going to lose you guys here, but it reminded me a lot of the Yoda in Star Wars, like, uh, th- like the fight with Count Dooku and clones, like it could have been cheesy, I think. And on paper, it probably is cheesy, but but I think that they did it fairly well. And and I'm not saying that that this fight is that good, like from like Attack of the Clones, good, but it's it's not cheesy. And I, and I feel like it could have been, is what I guess I'm getting at here. Um, but I hate that they relegated Kate to the sidelines here, and I kind of touched on that earlier. But this is where I was really kind of like, I, I just, I wish that they wouldn't have like maybe killed them all in the, in the movie theater and had her outside, like fighting them off maybe, you know, with, with, with Gizmo while, while Stripe was inside, you know, maybe have it like, you know, Stripe dies, all of his spawn die off or something. Like, I don't know. It's just, you know, I don't, and I'm sure, and I'm sure everybody, by the way, caught that ET reference with Spike poking his head through the stuffed animals too. But um, again, like I just, I just feel like Kate kind of got the shaft here and I feel like that they going back to what you were talking about a second ago, I, I just, I feel like that they shoehorned a lot of her stuff in. And I think that that's interesting character development that should have been explored a little bit more while fucking gremlins in the bar should have been cut. No, just, just, just my opinion. Uh, one last thing, and I'll get out of here. 
at the end, Gizmo pulls a window blind, you know, that exposes Stripe to the sunlight. Originally, in the original script, there were two window blinds, and Gizmo pulls the first one, and then Billy pulls the second one. That scene was edited because Spielberg believed that that Gizmo was a hero and and not Billy, and so Gizmo should be the one responsible for the demise of Stripe. Personally, and Mike's going to hate this, but I, I wish Randy Peltzer... Or, or Kate would have been the ones to save the day. Like, give old Randy a win here, man. Like, instead, he walks in and is like, huh, that sucks. Want my scarf? Like, that was it. Like, what's the point of him being in that last in that last scene? Uh, I don't know. I do like the ending and, and the lesson about, the, like, the very ending after this. I like that they kind of give you a lesson, a little bit of a lesson about society, you know, not knowing what to do with nature's gift. But right. Anyway, anyway, that that's all I had on this mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it kind of drug out, man. I agree with you. By this point, I'm just kind of ready to get to the end. Um, and again, I like how they end it. Like that's fine. I do. <laughs> it, it it is really hilarious to me that he's fighting a chainsaw off with a It makes me laugh every time. Uh, first of all, Randy Peltzer. Randy Pelzer can suck it from the back. What are we talking about here? He did, he gets no redemptive arc. I don't want to hear that. Come on, Brian. Uh, I agree with you about Kate, though. Man, she had the, the most fleshed-out character of this whole film, and they kind of don't use her here the way they should have. And I I hate that. Um, I you know All I really had on this set of scenes is that Obviously, they're trying to teach a little bit of a lesson, which you touched on, about you know how we as a society would handle it. You have Mister Wing come back. I think you know that was kind of fun. I forgot again. Been about 10, 15 years. I forgot that happens. You know, he's kind of you know, uh, you know, one of the older wise men, and he kind of says, "Hey, uh, I love how he calls him because he." It's not like Randy Pelter stole. Uh, Mogwai, but he also bought it underhanded from the kid, and he's like, "This is the man I bought. I bought him from." But he's like, "A uh, bought is a very uh, I don't remember what he says the, the line. If you have it, Brian, but he, he kind of like, no, nah, I don't think he bought this for me, bro. I'm pretty sure he kind of stole this." Uh, out. Yeah, and plus there was a there was a scene that was cut too, apparently, of the kid getting like super i mean i don't know the way that it was described was let's just say he got in a lot of shit for for doing that and punished for it basically which i think like sheds a whole new light on a on the old man there yeah and i'm kind of glad they didn't go that direction i like this guy i I think that's i want to keep him the way he is uh lastly i'll just say that i like the relationship between mogwai and billy i love that he's like bye billy or you know whatever he says he kind of Again, I don't speak gremlin, so I don't really know what they actually said. <laughs> but uh, I think it's really adorable and sweet. Uh, fun line from a girl, Lynn. <laughs> I bet he'd like some chicken noodle soup. Come on, man. Like, I know you're taking the temperature and stuff, but that I don't know. That line cracked me up a lot. Uh, but, yeah, again, at this point, I'm just kind of wanting it to be over. I feel like there's a good portion of this movie that you could trim just a little bit even though they trimmed an hour, like you said, apparently. Good Lord. I would, would not want to see the two-hour and 40-minute version of this film. But if you just trim a little bit more, get it to an hour and a half, maybe hour and 25, I think you have a really good, compact film that I think works. And you just 
even here at the end, I would have trimmed some of that fat. All righty. Any more final thoughts before we jump into some fan questions on social media? No, let's do it. I'll tell you one more thing that annoyed me in this movie. At the very beginning, like they just break the rules. Like as soon as little little Gizmo gets to the house, it's like, can we go one full day without without (laughs) flashing this kid or flashing Gizmo or pouring water all over him? It's like, good night. All right, we'll do Facebook first. Uh, Michelle Mirza, one of our biggest fans, said this is a great choice. So Brian, she's a big fan. Uh, let's see, Hunter Nelson is such a fun movie to watch. I'm sure this will be another great episode. I love that each gremlin has his own personality. Hunter, we don't make any bad episodes, my man. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> Shan says she loves this movie. It was out. Uh, it was the first Christmas movie my daughter and I watched this year. This is a fun way you can start horror with your kids without it being somewhat over the top, scary, or gory. I still laugh throughout it. I agree with that. This would be a yeah. good one to introduce some kids to. Sean Irwin said this movie is so much fun. Can't wait to listen. <laughs> and Maddie Talley, uh, bright so he said, the most horrifying aspect of this movie is this the story the girl tells about her dad playing Xana. <laughs> right? That's true. That's very true. Uh, Jman5765 on Instagram said this movie was a yearly watch for me growing up. He has a question for us. Do you guys think a modern remake would work? I'd personally love to see it. Nah. I mean, unless you just went straight, straight horror with it. And I think that you'd get too many people that have the nostalgia for this one just to hate it. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't think it would work. I would love it, but I, I don't think it'd be loved by people that have that. that, yeah. that just, leave, you know. just leave it in 84. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we said that, in 2023, they're going to have a Gremlins remake coming. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. No, I know. It, it's, it's supposed to, uh, Brian, I wouldn't fear it too much. I think it's going to tread lightly. It's not going to be super duper dark. Interesting. All right. And <laughs> Kevin Potoff on Instagram said, about time you guys nailed down a good one. No, st- <laughs> no stupid witches floating at the end of this gym. <laughs> <laughs> thanks man i'm glad you like the witch bro thanks kevin <laughs> all right uh y'all ready to jump into fun facts i only have one sure yeah i only have one as well okay uh i don't think we said this tonight but in cantonese mogwai means devil demon or gremlin hmm. that's the only one i got the only one i have is uh mr hansen the science teacher was actually originally killed by dozens of hypodermic needles to the face i mean that had a lot of uh nightmare on street three fives so <laughs> I, I wish they would have gone that way and my other one has to do with the budget so i have to go after you mike okay so before i get to the budget let's talk about the year of 1984 let's do it uh not only is it a great year for horror and it, it is a great year for horror it's a great year for film yeah. All right, but let's just kind of start with horror. Obviously, you have Gremlins right here, but you've got A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. You've got mm. Children of the Corn, Nico, hold comments till the end. You've got you've got <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night, which we mentioned on this show. Right. You've got uh, Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, which is one that we all love on this show. You've got Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, Mm-hmm. You've got the Terminator, the original Frankenweenie. Oh, wow. And so on and so yeah. on and so on. Blood Theater, which is a guilty pleasure of mine. Firestarter with young Drew Barrymore comes out in 1984. I also like that movie. So there's wow. a lot of awesome in 1984 when it yeah. comes to horror. Uh, and I, man, what a fun year. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was 
we should at least mention, man, this came out in just a loaded, packed year for this genre. Um, opening weekend, this <laughs> this movie made twelve million five hundred eleven sixty six hundred thirty four dollars. That's eight. Uh, so that's eight point. That's only eight point four percent of the total gross. Um, the budget itself was eleven million, which okay, that's that's a little bit lower than I expected. Um, but the box office, the total box office, by the way, was $212.9 million, uh, on an $11 million budget, which you mentioned kind of got in their way, which is why the gremlins are shot the way they are. Um, well, it was even supposed to be lower budget than that. And, but the, like the production costs and everything, all these issues kind of skyrocketed. Um, just to add on to what you said, the film debuted at number two at the box office, coming only $1 million short of the top spot because it was released on the same day as greatest movie of all time, Ghostbusters. Uh, that's all I was going to say. Release date, same as Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact that no one else had, so I'm going to say it because he's one of my favorite authors when I was a kid. The Gremlins was wrote by world-renowned author, Arnold Dahl, James and Jai Peach, BSG. Nice. Uh, all that, all those books. Uh, he wrote the original kind of not screenplay, obviously, but the template for what the characters would be. He wrote that, and it was a Walt Disney book, by the way. So that's oh. also fun. Maybe that's why they got Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, and even had the Gremlin with the uh with the Mickey Mouse ears, which I didn't notice until I googled it either. But I just I don't know. I didn't understand it. All righty, y'all ready to jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating? Sure. One second. It says that the the story is owned by Disney. The movie is owned by Spielberg. So that's the line of separation there. Really? Okay. Nice. Mike, you want to read uh, Dustin's uh, rating yes. and all that first? Then I'll go after him. Dustin yep. couldn't make it tonight. He had a he's having a little sinus throat kind of thing going on, I guess. We thought it was COVID. It's luckily not COVID, but he will be back next week. Or he will be back for yeah he'll be back next week for my pick which we're going to touch on here at the end. Uh, okay, so this is what Dustin says. This movie is a classic. There's no doubt about it. I hadn't seen the movie in 20 plus years, and I understand why. It, and I understand why it's not bad at all. But you could tell Spielberg and crew were proud of their animatronics and wanted to get as much screen time for them as possible at 30 to 40 thousand per. I don't blame them. The bar scene and movie theater scene go on entirely too long. However, there are a lot of good things in this movie. It has charm. A lot of charm. The characters you're supposed to like are likable. The one rich lady is a... uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. Try to clean up my act here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it did a great job there. It It has a very 80s feel, which is nice for nostalgia. I love how you can feel a change in atmosphere once the gremlins turn bad. I agree with Dustin 100% there. There is a big change, and I like that change. They do a great job of shooting it like a horror movie from then forward. When the mom is in the kitchen and the camera pans from her face and zooms out, it feels like a horror movie, where the first part of the movie had a family comedy feel, similar to Harry and the Hendersons. Also a great film. Uh, the plot is completely and utterly ridiculous. I mean, it's all it's after it's it's after midnight. Somewhere, always. Um, mm, yeah. Should have said after dark or something. But it's forgivable because Gizmo is so cute and lovable. Overall, it's one of those movies everyone should watch. But if I could commission a remake, it would be about 85 minutes tops. Side note, 
The, the first rough cut was apparently two hours and 40 minutes long. No thanks. I'd give it a 6.75. Charm was a good word to use. So that's, that, yes. that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. It has that's a lot of charm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, I'll go. Uh, Brian, I, I didn't tell you this during the uh, oh no during the uh, review, but me and you have the same favorite kill and least favorite kill. Oh. <laughs> uh, favorite kill is the gremlin in the blender. I almost chose the microwave one, but man, how many times have you ever seen a blender kill? That was awesome. Exactly. Uh, least favorite kill. I chose Mr. Futterman and his wife off screen. I almost chose the sheriff and the other deputy when they flipped their car. Just going to assume they died, but I went with Futterman and his wife. Uh, I just wrote a little summary. Uh, hadn't seen the movie in years, and just being honest, it just it didn't do much for me. Uh, I think it's a fine movie for its time, but it just didn't interest me that much. It's a Christmas horror comedy, but it's not really scary or funny. Uh, the Gremlins are cool at first, then it seems like they just grew enamored with it and drugged the movie out too long, which got monotonous to me, like the bar scene, you know, theater scene. The acting is, you know, pretty good. It's a good story, but it's not executed as good as it should have been. Uh, with that said, I gave it a five and a quarter. Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and go. Uh, my favorite kill was the blender kill. I, I don't think that's any secret. I, I could have a lot of nominations for my least favorite kill, honestly, <laughs> but uh, it, 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 it's my man, uh, Dick and the snowplow. Um, Dick got plowed. Sorry, I had to plow up <laughs> Dustin's. <laughs> His name's not Dick in the movie, so it doesn't quite work. But come on, Murray got plowed. All right. Anyway, we've uh, done we've done worse with less. So yes, yes, we have. <laughs> uh, if you go listen to our signs episode, that lets you know everything you need to know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's my least favorite kill. For sure, this movie, like Dustin said, has a lot of charm. I think it's it, it it does make me want to watch it again when I'm not doing it for this show, and I may do that in the next couple of weeks because it is Christmas time and all that. I don't think it's one of my immediate go tos uh, going forward. It's not going to be one of those ones I turn on. It's not the Santa Claus. It's not Elf. It's not Christmas Vacation or any of those. But I do think it's something I can maybe work into the rotation because I don't hate it. It's just long. It drags, and that's unfortunate because the concept is really fun, creative, unique. And I, I just don't have enough backstory with what these creatures are. I think the movie suffers from that. I think the movie suffers from the chunk towards the end at the bar and the movie theater. All that being said, I gave this a 6.5. Okay. Um, I already said my favorite kill and my least favorite kill. Um, you know, this is going to be a weird thing to say, but I think that everybody will understand this. This to me is a good background movie. Like, uh, you know, if, if you're, especially for Christmas, because, you know, when you're decorating the Christmas tree or when you're, when you're decorating Christmas or whether you're just hanging out, having a Christmas party or whatever, you know, uh, Santa Claus, you brought up is a great one for the background. Um, Grinch 2000, great one for the background, in my opinion. Christmas Vacation, probably my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, and this one, to me, is a great background movie. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but to me, that that's I think that that's, that's a good point for that. But, you know, like I said, I, I like the movie. It's way too long. We've said that 50,000 times. I don't want to hammer that point home anymore, but I just did anyway. I, I think that it takes a way too long to get to that third act. And then I think the third act is way too long. 
Um, and to me, again, nostalgia plays the biggest part uh, of this to me. Dustin used a perfect word in charm. Uh, that's uh, if you're trying to, I was trying to think of something besides nostalgia to say about it. And that's the perfect word. Charm is it. Um, admittedly, again, that plays the a bigger part than an actual movie in there to me. Um, and it gets a seven from me. Alrighty. Okay. R4 cumulative. You got that mic or me to say it? No, go ahead. Okay, our cumulative is a 6.375 and IMDb with 211,114 reviews gave it a 7.3. So we're about uh, almost a full point below IMDb. Okay. Uh, any more final thoughts on Gremlins before we uh, announce Mike's pick and shout out our blood donors? No, I'm, oh, man, that's it. I'm glad that we finally got to this. And that- yeah, me too. You know, it's you know, can, kind of goes along with our little Christmas theme that we have for uh, for December, and uh, I'm looking forward to continuing that uh, coming up here in uh, in December with a, a little bonus pick that Mike picked. Hot take: Christmas vacation is not that good. All right, go ahead, Mike. Oh, wow, wow. I mean, like this is why I'm the people's champion here. Like I, the. How do you hate on these movies that are just so great? Anyway, go ahead. And Dustin both. I'll never your understand. Vacation is god awful, but go ahead, Mike. Wait, what's god awful? European vacation. Oh, I mean, it's not great, but the original vacation and Christmas vacation are awesome. Anyway, anyway. Wow. Kiss my ass, kiss his ass. <laughs> Kiss your ass. Kiss your ass. Kiss his ass. Kiss my ass. Uh, yeah, Nico, kiss my ass. Anyway, uh, yeah, so my pick for next week is another bad film. <laughs> uh, but we have to complete the series before January. So it was time to finally do it. I wish we were actually reviewing the movie I wanted to do, which is Brian's prequel that he wrote. But we're not doing that. We're doing Scream 3 instead. Which Brian's prequel would make Scream 3 a hell of a lot better film. Because I got news for you guys. It's not very good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you. And we've we've brought this up before about how if you're if the worst movie in your franchise is Scream 3, I mean, you're doing pretty good. That's still true. And, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, but every I time I watch this movie, <laughs> it gets worse every time. Like, yeah, I just, and I do. Yeah. I'm going to talk more about that that my prequel script, I think, than I will about the actual movie. By the way, you can find that prequel script on dunkweather.com. Well, here's what I'll say. It's bad, but it almost makes me more angry than anything else because yes. I like the other three so much. Well, um, it makes me hate Kruger, not, not Freddy Kruger, Aaron Kruger, the guy that wrote this, instead of Kevin Williamson. It makes me dislike the guy, and I don't even know him. And he's written some pretty decent stuff, and his yeah, and, yeah. and some of his stuff in in Scream Four, Scream 4 like, is good, is not yeah. bad. Like, but I just I cannot stand the problems. Anyway, we'll get into it. I still stand by. If this is the worst movie in your franchise, yes, you're doing okay. And the only reason I say that is it's because it's not Freddy's Dead, it's it's not Jason Takes Manhattan or X, depending on your opinion. And it's not Halloween Five's god awful sorry sack of shitness, and it's not it's it's not any of the Hellraiser films. So, <laughs> <laughs> and hey, and I'll say it, and I'll say it next week whenever we get into it. But it's almost—I mean, like it has a decent outline. It's yeah, just it the, does. The, the writing was terrible. It's almost like 
somebody amazing wrote a great outline oh, for it, and then it was just executed wrong. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, Brian likes someone's big writing dick. All right, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, All right let's uh, let's shout out blood donors. Uh, let's move on. All right, uh, our legendary blood donors, uh, Missy Hutchison Wall and Miss Joe Larson. I'm looking forward to doing their uh, their film reviews in the next couple months. Uh, our final girl donor, Ms. Danny C. Naps. Uh, appreciate her and Joe for donating. Looking forward to that one. Uh, our camp level reoccurring is Clayton J., Nina, Michelle Mirza, Mr. Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, and Alex Seligson. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Karen, Shan Petrusevich, Dennis Kennedy, and Edwin Hernandez Gunn. I uh, just want to thank all our blood donors. Really appreciate yes. y'all. Y'all help Thank us, you so uh, much. I mean, yes. contrary to popular belief, doing, I'll say it this way, doing a good podcast is not free and it's not cheap. Yep. I mean, you can make, you can make a free one if you want to, but it's not going to sound good. It's not going to be worth listening to in my opinion. Yeah. But I uh, just want to thank y'all. Y'all make it, y'all take that burden off of us. Uh, looking forward to our Scream 3 review. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a good discussion because I'll be looking forward to listening to you two and Dustin talk about it. Because yeah. uh, after my two rewatches for this movie, I don't like this movie at all now, honestly. Well, we don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think either. this movie's pretty awful, actually. And Gail's that's... damn haircut is so distracting. Oh, it's uh, bad. We're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> I want to save my thoughts on that. Because you deserve so much better. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. But anywho, Gremlins that's was a fun one. And like Brian T's, oh, we got another Christmas bonus coming down the road. Looking forward to that yes, review. I won't necessarily you. say I love that movie, but it was okay. <laughs> but Merry Christmas, early Christmas. It's past midnight somewhere. Y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.